Hi, this is Rollin Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service, and we're going to get right into the message today because uh, this has been a tumultuous uh, week. It's been a tumultuous past several weeks, and so even as last week we were celebrating Pentecost Sunday, um, this week we're going to move into a very necessary series, which is going to be entitled Justice. Now, um, we're going to start the um, message or the series talking about this topic, um, um, or actually rather entitling this message, Starting the Conversation. And the reason that we're doing this is because some of you actually during this period of time feel like you've woken up to a bad dream, and others of you feel like all your life you've been in a nightmare that you can't escape. But the question is, how do we make progress? And how do we contextualize all that we see going around us in the person and purposes of God? So we're going to talk about justice today, not in three parts, but in four. We're going to talk first about why biblical justice matters. Secondly, we're going to talk about the God of justice. Thirdly, we're going to talk about the hard road to justice. And then finally, we're going to talk about God's end game. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that in the midst of these tumultuous times, you are sovereign, loving, eternal, and in charge. God, we pray that during this kairos, this very significant moment, you would show us how to meet with you, look to you, and depend on you for your redemption and your kingdom expansion. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's start with talking about why biblical justice matters. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And now more than ever, I think that one of his quotes really is speaking to me, that he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And when we're talking about justice or the nature of biblical justice, this is surely true. Now, when we're, we talk about justice, we can use two working definitions from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Number one, we can understand justice to mean the maintenance or administration of what conforms to fact reason, or a standard of correctness, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. Now that's a whole discussion in and of itself, but we're going to go on to number two. Justice can also be understood as the quality of being impartial or fair. Now, why biblical justice matters is because justice is the basis of our social contract within society. And the social contract is how you can understand the biblical concept of covenant meaning an agreement between two parties who are in relationship with one another, whether that be the relationship with a God and man or a relationship with man and man. Now, our social contract within society is predicated on the idea that if I uphold my side of the agreement, then certain consensus rights will be afforded to me. And if one of the parties violates this agreement, then repercussions will be realized. Now, it matters not whether the violations come from the majority group or the minority group within the contract. When the social contract is not upheld, 
there is no basis for mutually agreed upon interaction, otherwise known as civilization. And justice is literally what keeps civilization intact. Yet without a divine plumb line, which means a rule of thumb or something that we point to for the source of authority, we have no basis for appeal as to why any man, woman, or child should be treated with the decency that justice demands. Even in the Declaration of Independence, um, it's an appeal to divine authority as the source of justice. The Declaration of Independence reads this way, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, without a foundation in God, though, the evolutionary principle of might makes right becomes the order of the day. And what this ultimately leads to is injustice. Yet I'm here to tell you today that whatever background you're coming from, that there is a God and his character defines for us why justice matters. Now, embedded within the nature of God is the character quality of justice. And Psalm 89 verse 14 reads this way, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your, meaning God's throne, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That means that not only is God just, but that he fights to bring about just ends in the world in which we live. You need to know that when you see all of the chaos going on around us. And we speak as the church and as the people of God. We speak against injustice because God first speaks against injustice. We condemn bigotry and racism because God himself condemns bigotry and racism. And we cry out against the senseless destruction of human life because the God of heaven and earth abhors it. Psalm 10 verses 17 and 18 says it this way that, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart and you will incline your ear to do justice for the thought to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Now, justice means that whenever any man or woman commits a wrongful act, whether they are the people in authority or the people who are subject to that authority, they are to reap the consequences of their sin. It also means that those who are to live righteously have a responsibility before God to help shape an environment where justice can actually flourish. Yet people ask the question in Christian circles or in the church today that wouldn't it be better just if we just talk about mercy? Well, I can say to you that it might be easier if we just talk about mercy, but not necessarily better. And the reason why is because mercy does not ignore justice. But in fact, mercy works hand in hand 
with justice in the plans and purposes of God. And in doing so, mercy actually triumphs over judgment. The Apostle James said it this way in James chapter 2, verse 8, that if you really fulfill the law according to the scripture, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, which leads to injustice, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery. And this is often where we try to fix our thoughts on things like not committing adultery. He says, the one who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not murder. The very thing that we've seen in the past several weeks as a result of injustice. He says, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, before we move on, I wanna, I wanna say this because of the times that we're in right now. There is a hypocrisy being expressed on both sides of the uh, proverbial train tracks. We see that there are some who have called themselves Christians and are only considering the moral considerations of things like adultery, but not actually focusing on the injustices that are also making them guilty of breaking the law. Um, conversely, there are those who are so concerned about the injustices of our day, but refuse to see the guilt before almighty, holy God in their moral character and their moral living on a daily basis because they're only focusing on the outward injustices that we see. But what I'm here to tell you by the word of God is that God is concerned about both. And we need to be concerned about both if we're going to really embrace God's biblical understanding of justice. And what we see is that in justice and mercy working together, God's mercy allows you to put yourself in another person's shoes. And if you would not enjoy being treated the way that someone of a different ethnicity, nationality, or socioeconomic group is being treated, then biblical mercy demands that you make effort to alleviate their suffering. This is actually the image of justice, and it begs the question, if this is the image of justice, what are we to do? Well, the answer is we are to walk the hard road to justice. Now, recently, because of the social media world that we live in, people are being inundated with the images, the horrific images of injustice that have transpired in our nation. But many people are acting as if this injustice or these injustices are actually a new thing. But I, I actually like what Will Smith said recently where he said that racism is actually not getting worse, it is just getting filmed. And so people are being sensitized to the injustices that exist and that God wants to address in our world today because it's being filmed. So what are in the midst of this 
uh, heightened sense or sensitivity towards these things? What are the practical biblical ways to combat racism, faction, and divisions in our time? Well, we'll start with Proverbs 31 in the NIV, which says in verse eight that we should speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. We should speak up and judge fairly, defending the rights of the poor and the needy. On the issues of the day, our silence, if we do not speak up according to the biblical mandate, our silence can actually be deafening. And it can reflect what Nobel laureate uh, Eli Weasel actually said in his um, Nobel Prize acceptance speech when he said, I swore never to be silent whenever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, but never the victim. You might think you're not ruffling feathers or you're doing the right peaceable thing by not speaking up against injustice, but it doesn't help the um, victim. It only helps the oppressor, he says. Silence encourages the tormentor and never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. And when human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. So it does not matter what you consider yourself, if you are a servant or submitted to God or want to align yourself with God, this is the posture of speaking up that you need to take. And you need to understand why your voice matters. Whether you are a minority or find yourself part of the majority ethnic group. And comprehending the importance of our voice starts with God himself as his spoken word was what was used to create the universe in which we now live and what we now see around us. And he goes on to say that in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are actually in the power of the tongue. What we choose to voice, what we choose to speak about, it leads to either death or life. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So we see that life and death is in the power of the tongue, no matter its source. Whether again, you find yourself as a part of the minority group or the majority group. And you may feel like your heartfelt expression of love when you wanna speak on these issues towards other people, even being a support to them during these difficult and challenging times. You may feel like your expressions of love will be perceived as forced, yet you need to know this. It's something that my father-in-law would often say when he had to conduct funerals. He said that when there is a funeral, you may not know what to say, but people People will remember your absence far more than you having the ability to say the right thing. You need to express your love and support anyway, despite what you, how you think people might receive or respond to your expression, even if you feel like your motivation will be misinterpreted. God knows your heart and people will learn to trust you through your faithfulness. What you need to be during times like these, and really at all times, is present and available 
in the grace and love of Christ. Now, when you're speaking, though, I need to say this very clearly to you. Volume matters. Volume matters. And I think that you need to understand this on two fronts. And this is for everybody who's entering into discussions about injustice and the injustices that we see around us. You need to know that volume matters on two fronts, both in number one, how loud you get, meaning that you need to remain civil in your conversation. And number two, in the amount, meaning the volume, the amount of voices that it actually takes to change an environment and an atmosphere. The reason that your voice matters is because it needs to be added to the volume that can actually turn the tide of injustice even through the social pressure that God brings about through biblical mandate. And this gives even a proper interpretation to the protests that we see. Now we'll talk a little bit more at a later time about how to properly go about doing things, but I would like to also reference another Nobel laureate, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., in his uh, Nobel lecture of uh, 1964, when he talked about violence um, as a reaction to the injustices that we see. When we're speaking out on behalf of God's biblical justice, we cannot turn to the ways of the world to actually accomplish God's purposes. This is what Martin Luther King Jr., a man of God, actually said. He said, violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. I'm not unmindful of the fact that violence often brings about momentary results. Nations have frequently won their independence in battle, but in spite of temporary victories, violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem. It merely creates new and more complicated ones. Violence is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. And it destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends up defeating itself and it creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. So if that's the case, what are we to do? Well, first, we need to ask God to search our hearts by his word and through prayer to see if there is any offensive way in us. This is what King David was referring to where in Psalm 139, he said this in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are be any grievous way in me. Before I talk to anybody else, see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to understand that really when we're trying to be an answer to injustice, we need to understand there is no replacing you having relationships with people in your life who can help educate 
yourself, you about these issues. I'm speaking now primarily to those who might find themselves in the majority camp, but don't understand the plight of the minority set of our country who's going through the issues that we see on our screens before us today. And you need to understand that watching the news is not enough. If all of your closest friends look, act, speak, and think like you, you will be at a kingdom disadvantage to actually being any help. You will be sheltered within your paradigm. And when you only interact with those from similar socioeconomic settings and backgrounds, it is going to be hard to truly empathize with those who have had different experiences than yourself. So that's the first thing we need to do is test our heart. But secondly, we have to have tough conversations on repeat to address injustice and bring proper biblical justice with lasting change. In doing so, you need to understand that no one needs to repent of their ethnicity only their sin. God made you who you are in the skin you, that you um, that you're in for a reason, and within that skin, you are to be a loving servant of Jesus Christ. You need to stop apologizing for what God made you and determine what He'll still make you, which is your destiny as a Christian to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So coming into these hard conversations, though, on repeat means this, that there are literally two sides of the coin. The first is this. You need to do what you can to listen empathize and stand with the afflicted. James chapter one, verse 19 exhorts us this way, that know this, my beloved brothers, that everyone, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's for every man, no matter what you, whether you find yourself in the majority or the minority, you need to have this posture in your heart. And if you clothe yourself in humility, love, and the word of God, you don't have to walk on eggshells. But you need to understand that misunderstandings will come but you can learn from them and continue on as you press forward to build bridges of the gospel between yourself and others. You don't get derailed by one conversation if you, did, if you feel like it didn't go the way you wanted. But then the other side of the coin, the second side of the coin, is not only listening, but you can help change the conversation and mentality within the privileged class, no matter if you're speaking from the point of view of the minority subset or the majority. You can do it by doing these things. You can silence deprecating comments when you hear them. You can reject racist jokes and stereotypes that you hear flying around the office, at the dinner table, or while hanging out with family and friends. You can refuse to poke fun at cultures you haven't been a part of and do not understand. You can condemn any insinuation that an entire ethnic group is less intelligent, capable, violent, a threat, 
or lazy because that's not true. All of these things imply an inferiority of those who are different and actually are left unaddressed perpetuate injustice. So you don't need to allow these types of things to go on on your social feed. You don't allow this in your home. You don't allow these things to be done in, in secret, but rather we're to expose them. We're to expose them because as Paul exhorted in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, you're to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look very carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what you can positively do, we'll get into this in further conversations later, but instead you can proactively speak about the value, attributes, and worth of the cultures different than your own. And most importantly, you can lead those to whom you're both listening and speaking to the cross. Why? Because God Almighty has an end game in the midst of all of this. And when you think about God's end game, you have to think about the fact that you would have thought that after the great strides of the civil rights movements of the 20th century, we'd have been running our collective victory lap by now. Yet no matter how many rallies, programs, or strides we make, the state of the world can progress yet remain imperfect. It is because as long as the world is in rebellion to God, classism, racism, bigotry, and injustice will rear their heads. It is like a beach ball pushed under the water that springs right back up and even pops above the water when not actively being subdued. These are like the man-made policies that try to push these injustices underneath the societal waters. But the problem is, is that these injustices lie not just in our policies that we're continually reforming, but the injustices lie in the heart of humankind, men and women alike. And you will find yourself in a depressive state if your hope because of this lies solely anchored in this world. It's what Paul went on to talk about in Ephesians chapter 2, 12, where he says, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Meaning these issues will not only perpetuate themselves, but you'll have no hope of permanent recourse because they'll keep springing up because the issue is not external, but it's internal. 
So what is God's end game in this while we wait? Well, the world is fallen, separated from God because of the evils to which we've clung. All different types, even as we were talking about in James, not just the murder and the injustices, but also the personal sins of adultery and faction and division. All of these things, we've clung to them. However, God's ultimate end game is reconciliation. And what um, what that means is that the God of Israel is one of both justice and reconciliation. Now, the miracle is, is that both of these character attributes are found in the same person of Jesus Christ. As humanity, we tend to tip to one side of the or the other. We're either all about justice or we're all about reconciliation. But what you see, the where you see the miracle is that in Jesus, he actually comprises both. And as Christians, we're to aspire to both. Now, God in his nature perfectly satisfies one without actually neglecting the other. God is concerned about reconciliation between God and man. And he's also concerned about reconciliation between man and man. And he is also the one who actually lays it out like this, that just as Pentecost that we talked about last week reverses the curse of the Tower of Babel, where all of our language was confused. He brought together the people and allowed the gospel to be communicated in common language again. So the cross of Jesus Christ reverses the curse of Cain against his brother Abel. We see that in Ephesians 2, 13 going on. Paul said this, that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, meaning Jesus Christ hanging on the cross is our peace because he took the sin of humanity on himself. He said, I'm taking your punishment, your shame, your rebellion against God. I'm taking it on myself and the wrath that comes for it. He says to be your peace vertically between God and man, but also horizontally between man and man to do what? To make us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between us and God and between us and another man because of what he accomplished for us on the cross. The justice of God and the mercy of God we see here are not mutually exclusive. They are both part of the character of God and work hand in hand at the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul finished by saying this in Romans chapter 3, 26, that it was to show his, meaning God's righteousness at the present time, so that he, meaning God, might be just dealing with sin on the cross and justifier of the ones who have faith in Jesus. Meaning that the only way anybody, whether you are the oppressor or you are the victim, the only way that anybody is going to stand righteously before God is because God has himself become our righteousness, both just and justifier against all of our sins, being dealt with and satisfied at the cross. You need both for 
true reconciliation. Dr. Rice Brooks actually said it this way, even commenting on the uh, issues of our day. Recently in a Twitter post, he said that human cruelty, you need to understand for all the inflammatory emotions that we have, human cruelty is nothing new. It's why the slave ships and gas chambers of history existed. And it's why senseless killing exists or persists rather in our time. Man apart from God acts like an animal and treats others like animals. This is why we need a savior literally to save us from ourselves. So when we talk about justice, we need a biblical justice. When we talk about a biblical justice, we look to the God of justice. When we talk about the God of justice, we need to understand the road he lays before us is hard, but it's through his end game of reconciliation and a commitment to it that we can actually get there. Next week, we'll talk more about how to continue these conversations. But today, let's all turn to God, regardless of where we are, from our pride, from our rebellion, from our sin, from our hatred, from our discord, and cling to Jesus at the cross. And by doing so, God can make us new and give us the grace to walk successfully, gracefully through these times and actually honor him even while we see him change what's going on in our land. Let's look to him now to do that in Jesus' name. Now, if you find yourself Someone who says, you know what? I have tried to think about the things of God before, but internally I've been bound by sin. I've been bound by hatred. I've been bound by really discrimination against my fellow man. And I've tried to overcome it, but it's the stew that I was raised in. It's the pot that I grew up in. And I don't know how to overcome it. I need something supernatural to happen in my heart to make me new that God can actually forgive me and bring me as a new creation into this life of love that you are talking about today. If that's you and you want to be not only reconciled with God, but another man, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me today. Say, Father God, I admit to you today that I have been one who is deserving of your wrath. Not only have I expressed wrath to others, but I have been deserving of it. And I'm asking you to forgive me today. I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I admit to you that I'm no better than those that I would point my finger at. And I'm asking you to not only forgive me, but to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus went to the cross to die not only for my sin, but my oppressor's sin in the name of the Lord. And I'm asking asking that you would help me to live in the resurrection life that you provided by Christ's resurrection from the dead. In Jesus' name, I proclaim him my Lord today, and I lay down all of my unforgiveness. I lay down all my hate. I lay down all of my divisions, and I choose to be a minister of reconciliation from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, the good news is, is that God has made you a new creation and he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will teach you how to be a man or woman of reconciliation as you move forward, reconciled with him. So if you prayed that prayer, would you join me at secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There you can find resources of how to take your next steps in God. And we want to connect you to a diverse, multi-ethnic community, even here in our city, that can show you how to take those next steps in God with the community of faith. Now, 
If you weren't a person who prayed that prayer today and you just want to join me in prayer for our nation and our world, would you join me now as we close? Father, we thank you so much that you are one who looks to bring justice and reconciliation to the world around us. And we're asking that today you would speak your peace over all the unrest, over all of the turmoil, over all of the violence that's taking place in our nation, and that God, you would turn this nation to Christ. God, we're praying that people would repent of bigotries, they would repent of racism, they would repent of oppression, they would repent of injustice, and God, that we would look to you to come and bring your justice to this world that so desperately needs it. Bring your peace through your salvation, in Jesus' name, amen. So we hope that you were uh, able to be encouraged by that last moment of worship. Um, we want you to go into your week full of the grace of God. But we do also want you to know that if you need to talk or you need to pray through any of these issues that we were talking with uh, through today, we are here to stand with you. You can click the button um, for a prayer, private prayer request even now or throughout the week. Please do call us, reach out to us, and join some of our community groups where these very issues will be discussed in the love and grace of God. So go um, have a great week. We love you. Be prayerful in Jesus name. And we'll see you next week. Please do bring a friend. God bless you.